0: Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 241, Clement XI. Dear brothers and sisters, annuncio vobis, annuncio vobis, annuncio vobis, gaudium magnum, gaudium magnum, gaudium magnum, habemus papam. So to set the scene and to carry on from last time, tensions are incredibly high between the Holy Roman Emperor, Leopold I, and the King of France, Louis XIV, over who should be the next King of Spain when the current King of Spain dies, and it's looking like he's going to die pretty soon. The previous Pope, Innocent XII, had pushed for the French candidate, and the Holy Roman Emperor was incredibly angry, and something was going to snap. They just don't know when. And The Cardinals were all in the conclave to elect a new Pope in October of 1700. And they were still debating, but coming to a conclusion faster than the last few conclaves. When on November first, seventeen hundred, the King of Spain died, and the tensions that had been building snapped, and the War of Spanish Succession began. The cardinals tried to elect one Cardinal Mariscotti, but the French vetoed him, so they turned to Cardinal Giovanni Francesco Albiani. He was young, healthy, seemed to have a good sense of what to do next. He was just the man for a crisis situation. The French didn't hate him. The Emperor was okay with him. The only problem was he refused to accept the election. And it took three days and four different theologians from four different religious orders to convince him that he had to accept the election. And so finally, on November 23rd, 1700, he accepted and he took the name Clement XI. Now, Giovanni Albani was born in Urbino, Italy on July 23rd, 1649. His family was fairly wealthy and eventually moved to Rome, where his grandfather was in the service of one of the papal dukes. His grandfather was also liked by Pope Urban VIII Barberini, and so the Barberini family watched out for young Giovanni Albani as he began his career. He attended university in Rome. He eventually studied in the Queen Christina's of Sweden's academy in Rome, and then he studied law in Urbino, and he served in a number of roles in the papal bureaucracy, eventually being named a cardinal deacon by Pope Alexander VII on February 13, 1690 at the age of 41. Now, at the election of Pope Innocent Twelfth in 1691, Cardinal Albani became a key early collaborator of the new pope, helping him draft his decree against nepotism and helping shepherd it past the rest of the cardinals. He tended to side with the French in his own politics, and it was one of the cardinals who advised Pope Innocent Twelfth to support the candidacy of Philip of Anjou to be the next king of Spain. Cardinal Albani was one of the most indispensable cardinals in Rome. He had his hand in every congregation. He was knowledgeable and influential. So it was no surprise when he was elected Pope in November of 1700 and became Clement XI. Now, just before the Pope was elected, of course, the King of Spain died and the War of Spanish Succession was kicked off. And it's not my job here to give you a play-by-play of the war, which lasted for several years, but rather to show how it affected the papacy. Basically, the Pope played a very small part and was pushed around by all the other powers and was ignored during the peace treaty phase. At first, the Pope basically had to recognize Philip of Anjou as King of Spain. It was kind of where he leaned anyway. But then the Holy Roman Emperor wasn't happy, so he invaded the Papal States, and the Pope was forced to recognize the Habsburg candidate, which angered the French. In fact, when Leopold, the Holy Roman Emperor, died, his heir, Joseph, didn't perform the traditional obedience to the Pope and didn't really care about him at all. So you can tell what role the Pope actually played in any of this. When the peace treaty finally came in 1713, territories that technically the Pope was in charge of, like Parma and Sicily, were divided up without his being asked. Sicily was swapped for Sardinia at one point, again, without papal permission, even though technically Sicily was a a vassal state of the papal states. And then in 1718, France conquered Sicily. It was one big mess, not much to talk about, except for the growing reality that the Pope didn't have a large role to play in European affairs. There was one area, however, where he was still effective, and that was at unifying the Christian princes to fight the Turks. Pope Clement, through much negotiation, brought together Austria and Venice in an alliance against them, but it didn't happen to go too much further. The war that happened in the early part of the papacy of Clement XI was mirrored in the theological conflict that grew throughout regarding Jansenism. We haven't brought it up much since the papacy of Clement IX, but for a couple of decades, there's been this uneasy peace regarding Jansenism, which is called the, the Peace of Clement. And the popes were a little bit more pro-French, and the understanding that Clement IX had reached was good enough for them. And There are other things to worry about. But now with Pope Clement XI, there's a gradual realization that the Pope needed to be a little stricter about Jansenism. What they thought was dying out was actually still there. And the strict policy was advocated in particular in Rome by the Jesuits in the Curia, who were sworn enemies of Jansenists and members of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Now, the first shot in this theological battle came when the Pope dismissed the Apostolic Nuncio to the Netherlands because he was too sympathetic to Jansenism. This then prompted retaliation in the Low Countries and France from the Jansenist sympathizers who published pamphlets condemning the move and particularly condemning the Jesuits. In the back and forth that followed, and in particular because of the case of uh, one Pasquier Quesnel, a Jansenist theologian in France, the Pope began to suspect the reality that Jansenism wasn't actually dying out, there was still a pretty powerful force in France and Belgium, and that he had to take a firmer stance. And this led him to publish the bull, Vinium Domini Sabaoth, which once again condemned Jansenism and said, you can't just be quiet about it. You need to affirm the Pope's teaching authority on this. So this set off the conflict more. And even though Louis XIV was on the Pope's side, many in France began to assert that the Pope didn't have any business in intervening, bringing back the old Gallican arguments of a couple of decades ago. After a couple of years, in 1708, the Pope condemned the teaching of Pasquier Quesnel, formally in the Bull Unigenitus, and the Jansenist controversy flared up again, The people of France were outraged at the Pope's intervention. He was not infallible, and the church in France did not need to hold Rome's line theologically. And this prompted the Pope to respond again in 1713. And this was protested by members of the French clergy, and they appealed to a general council. They saw this as an illegitimate imposition on the church in France, and they saw behind it the perfidious work of the Jesuits. And these issues will come up again in the future, especially this kind of hatred of the Jesuits that we see throughout. But if you think Pope Clement is being too conciliatory towards the Jesuits, we have to turn to their activity in China next. For the last hundred years or so, thanks in part to the groundbreaking work of the Jesuit missionary, Father Matteo Ricci, the Jesuit missionaries in China had been making big inroads into the court of the Chinese emperor. As a part of that missionary process, they got permission from Pope Alexander VII to adapt some of the liturgy to fit Chinese customs. And this included, you know, liturgical dress, different colors for priestly vestments, the liturgy being in the vernacular all sorts of different things like that. But as Dominican and Franciscan missionaries started showing up in China, they became appalled at how much the Jesuits had conformed themselves to the culture. It was no longer just a matter of dress. They were using Confucian terms and okaying practices, which seemed to be ancestor worship. And so they reported back to Rome and the Chinese rights controversy began. Pope Clement sent a representative to the court of the emperor in China in order to kind of inform him that the way the Jesuits had been doing things was wrong and that some of the Chinese practices themselves were wrong. And this went about as well as you would think, and the representative was kicked out of the country and even held in Macau for a period of time. The emperor had just signed a letter, in fact, of toleration of Catholics in China, too, so it wasn't as if he was kind of unbiased or he was even a little sympathetic. But the representative that the pope sent was so intransigent and not very diplomatic, and he was really in a mood to condemn. The emperor responded by requiring Europeans in China to have a permit to stay there. The legate, sure that he had done a good job, returned to Rome and was promptly named a cardinal by Pope Clement. And then in 1713, Pope Clement promulgated the bull Ex Ila Die, which formally condemned the Jesuit practices. And the response from the emperor of China was to expel Christian missionaries and prohibit the practice of Christianity in China. And it was a huge setback for the evangelization of China. After a fairly long pontificate, Pope Clement XI died on March 19, 1721. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. and He was succeeded by Pope Innocent XIII, who we will talk about next week. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.